Welcome to the Crossroads Church Sermon Podcast. The following message is meant to help intersect your road with God's road. Crossroads Church gathers to discover God, grow in Him, and reach out to others. For more information, visit crossroadsstjames.life. Those of you that have been with us for a while at Crossroads Church, hopefully you're seeing that that's not the case, that God has been the same yesterday, today, and forever in wanting to provide for the needs of his creation and his people. I mean, he's, he's gone out of his way to the people of Israel, as we've been reading, and he's also gone further, and he's gone beyond, and he's blessed other people that weren't necessarily Israelites, and, and we'll continue to see that as we go through this, you know, as we go through the Bible, but, but God cares about every single one of your needs, and this chapter, chapter four here, has gone through various needs that, that we still have today, you know, in verses one through seven, with that miracle with the oil that was technically technically sorry technically I don't know what I was doing there um, it was technically a financial provision right the woman was in was in debt and she didn't want to lose her sons to bond servanthood to, to work that debt off and and so she was Lord can can you help me here and the Lord provided for it, it was a little bit different way he didn't just give her a check but but he still provided for that financial need. And then in the next story with the wealthy woman and her husband, they, they were kind of set, honestly. They, they had the money they needed. They had good farmland and everything was going well. And they didn't really have that need. In fact, what does, what does Elisha say? Hey, what can I get for you? I can, I've, I've, I've got it in good with the, with the government. We can, we can get what you need. She's like, I'm good. And so he finds out that, that she's, she's barren and he provides, well, God provides a son for her. I mean, she didn't need the son um, because, like I said, they were wealthy and they were good. But to be able to provide that emotional need, that emotional comfort of being able to say, you know, because that was a big deal back then. I've provided my husband with a son. The Lord has blessed me with a son to give to my husband. I mean, that, that's been a storyline throughout the Old Testament, right? I mean, you're going all the way back, Abraham and Sarah, and then you got Jacob and Rachel and, and all these different stories. You got uh, Samuel's mother and all these different women who have been barren and the Lord has blessed them. The Lord wants to provide for your financial need. He wants to provide for your emotional needs. And now today we get to like a, a true physical need and that's that's food. We, we all like food, right? Food is great and food is important. And today we see the Lord provide, you know, in the past few weeks we've seen him provide financially, we've seen him provide emotionally, and today we'll, we'll see him provide again physically with food. So in the two stories we see today, one will show our responsibility and the other will point to Christ and help build our faith that Jesus is the one who came to save the world from their sins. So if you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Kings chapter 4, whether you turn it on or you actually flip open a paper Bible. Uh, uh, 2 Kings chapter 4, we'll start at verse 38 for this first story. We'll read the whole story here, these next few, chapter, or these next few verses. Uh, and Elisha came again to Gilgal, uh, where there was a famine in the land, and as the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, 
He said to his servant, set on the large pot uh, and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. One of them went out into the fields to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it uh, his lap full of wild gourds and came and cut them up into the pot of stew, not knowing what they were. And they poured out some for men to eat. But while they were eating of the stew, they cried out, O man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. He said, then bring flour. And he threw it into the pot and said, pour some out for the men that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. We'll stop there at verse 41 for now. So there's a famine in the land. It's, uh, we're going to see in 2 Kings chapter 8 in a couple of weeks here, there, there's, there's a famine mentioned. It's probably the same famine. Uh, the timetable of chapter 4 is all over the place. So... It, it's not necessarily that these stories are in chronological order, uh, but, but there's definitely a famine in the land. Elisha is with the sons of the prophets, which we've discussed uh, before. It's kind of a school, you could say, a school of prophecy uh, that Elijah actually kind of started heading up, and then Elisha took over. Remember, Elijah said goodbye to all the sons of the prophets before he was taken up in the whirlwind. And so Elisha has, has now uh, taken over this class, and, and he's, he's speaking with them in this place of, of Gilgal. Now, it's time to eat. Not sure how that went since they were in the middle of a famine, um, I mean, there's not a lot of food around, and it's, it's very dry. Uh, but they get stuff together to make a stew. Sadly enough, some, some poisonous gourds make it into the stew as they try to flavor this thing up and try to make it more than just hot boiling water. So they, they put it in there, and, man, the, the, the stew becomes poisonous. Now, let's, let's walk away from this for a second, and let's, let's go back to elementary school and, and social studies. Maybe it was all the way back in elementary school. Maybe it wasn't until junior high uh, for you. But uh, for me, I'm pretty sure that's where I first learned that the, uni- the United States considered itself uh, a melting pot, right? Remember learning that in school? A melting pot of, of various cultures and nationalities. In the late 1700s, uh, the nation was a pot of various nationalities, various ethnicities, various constructs, various races, all that stuff. It all comes together, and it's in a big old pot, and it melts together. It melts together. Um, it, there's been times when it's been, you know, it's, it's been tried to change to like a salad, you know, because people are like, well, we want to have our own individuality. We want to be able to practice our own things, come to the United States, enjoy the freedom, but at the same time practice this and that. And so times it's, it's been known as a salad, but, but more often than not, it's, it's, it's the melting pot. And all those nationalities, all those beliefs, all those things kind of come together and they're cooked together and they're boiled together. Now, we all, um, as we all know, this pot is, is full of poison, is it not? I, I hate to say that. I, I love the United States of America. I love this nation. It's, I'm so glad that the Lord has given us the freedom that we've been given. But there's poison in the pot, is there not? Over the course of the centuries, various things have happened. Various situations of hate, various situations of greed, uh, various situations of just, just sin. And it's poisoned the pot. And now the poison in the pot has brought death in the pot. We know it, and we've probably seen it 
possibly firsthand most of us in this building. Now, in our story in 2 Kings, when Elisha hears of the poison in the pot, what does he do? Does he go to the pot and try to strain all the poisonous gourds out? Does he go and say, oh my goodness, you're right, you got some poisonous gourds. We're not having Billy Cook ever again, because he has no clue what he's doing. Let's go in there, let's get a strainer, and let's get these, let's get these poisonous gourds out of there. Let's, let's pull that out. Does he do that? No, he doesn't pull out the poisonous gourds, because as any good cook would know, which Elisha technically isn't a good cook, we don't know anything about his cookability, but... Um, you know that, that once something gets into that pot of stew and you start cooking things, everything is affected by it. I mean, it's, it's like a biblical concept, right? A, a little bit of yeast goes throughout the whole batch of dough, right? If you're making bread, you don't need much. You just need a little bit, and boom, it's done. It's contaminated. It's over. It's the same thing with the stew. It's contaminated. Everything that's in it, the broth, all of it is poisonous. You can go ahead and take those gourds out or try to take the herbs out and strain all that stuff and, and see if you just can get the broth, but the broth is still poison. There's still going to be death if, if you eat that. As the, ingredients took to, as the ingredients cook together, they become one. So the poison of the gourds poisons the broth and herbs, and you can't separate it or strain it out. In the poison pot of the United States, what have we tried to do? We've tried to strain out the poison. We look at one poisonous aspect and try to remove it from the pot, thinking that it will heal the rest of the quote-unquote super stew or whatever this nation is. We've got hate. We've got greed. Let's pull that out, and maybe that'll help us. Sometimes it's been okay. Most of the time it hasn't. Because as soon as you take something out, there's something else there, right? They're still there. Well, I'm going to take this little bit of hatred out. Well, that's fine. You still got greed over here. You still got lust over here. It's still all poison. It doesn't matter. And guess what? It's still in the hearts of people. That hatred, you may have taken out what you think is hate, but it's still in the mindset of human beings because it's all come together as one. It's all mixed up together. The pot is still poison. We take out what we think the source of the poison is, but the whole thing is still deadly. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, according to Elisha, we throw some flour in it. Throw flour in it. Now, Better Homes and Gardens wasn't around at the time, and we've got a Better Homes and Gardens cookbook. Any of you got that? I think it's Better Homes and Gardens. It's like the plaid-looking one. You know, yeah, it's, it's, I, I refer to it a lot because you think I would have pancakes memorized, but I don't. I often have to go there and say, how do I make pancakes again? And, you know, how do I simply make a piece of French toast? You know, I, I need this cookbook. And, and so, but, but in the cookbook... I never have found a section that said, so you've accidentally thrown arsenic into your stew. What do you do now? How do you, how do you fix that? I can figure out other things. It tells me other things. Like, you know, if I don't have oil, what can I use instead? If I don't have butter, what can I use instead? If I don't have chocolate, what can I use instead? Just stop cooking because you know you're going to have to have the chocolate. But, you know, it doesn't have the thing of, well, if you put poison in the pot, this is... This is how you're, you're going to fix it. And it definitely doesn't say flour. And I want to encourage you guys to not go home today and make a stew 
and throw like antifreeze or something in it and test this. <laughs> let's see what happens if I throw some of this in here. Now let's just throw the flour. Everything should be good. Please don't do that. That's testing the Lord your God, and you will fail miserably, I think. So please don't do that. That's, that's going to be my, my warning for you today. Um, but, but the idea of, of Elisha looks at the pot. It's poisonous. He can't strain it. He knows he can't strain it out. So he throws the flour in. Now listen, friends, the flour is technically nothing. I mean, the flour, there's not, he didn't have like magic flour, you know, like magic beans that were going to grow into a big, large vine to a giant. He didn't, he didn't have magic flour. There was technically nothing special about the flour, but Elisha knew it was going to symbolize life. It was going to symbolize life. What could be eaten, what could be taken is going to be added to the pot to cleanse it. We're going to throw that in the pot. Now, flour is the basis for what? Bread, right? Everybody like bread? I hope you do. I love bread. Bread's amazing. Bread's awesome. Thank you, Jesus, for bread. I've always liked it. So the flour is the basis for bread. And what does Jesus claim to be? The bread of life, right? So when Elisha is throwing in that that flower into the pot, he's throwing life into the pot. He's throwing that life in there. He's throwing that in the pot. I can't strain it. I can't, I can't, I can't do that. I can't take the evil out. I can't take the death out. I can't take the poison out. I'm going to have to add life to it to make this better, to make this work out. Listen, friends, as a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, we need to do a much better job at throwing flour into the pot. Now, I use the entirety of the United States as my example today, but listen, that's way too large of a scale for each individual in this room here today. The pot of stew in our story was for a handful of Elisha's students, right? He wasn't feeding the entire nation with this pot. It was just a handful of people. Friends, you need to start looking at the pots in your life and start throwing flour in them. Start throwing life in them. The pot that is known as your family, the pot that is known as your job, the pot that is known as your school, the pot that is known as the place where you work. Or, I already said that. The pot that is known as you know the people that you hang out with, where, where you would hang out with. You need to throw flour into these pots because I'm sure there's some poison in there. We're all sinful. We all have evil in us. But the only way to get rid of that is to throw flour in the pot. Now, what does throwing flour in the pot look like in these situations? Because I would hate for you guys to walk out on the street and hang out at Super Fair or hang out at the bowling alley or wherever you hang out and start throwing flour at people. What'd you do that for? Because you're evil and you're deadly. Well, thanks, jerk. Now I got to go wash the flour off of me. I don't want you to do that. So what does throwing flour in the pot look like? Listen, friends, it's speaking words of encouragement. It's giving the wisdom that you have, mourning with those who mourn, rejoicing with those who rejoice, helping out both physically and emotionally for those that are in need, whatever it may be. You see a situation, 
I'm going to throw flour on that pot. I'm going to throw flour in this pot. Someone is grieving the loss of someone. I'm going to throw flour in this pot. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to do what I can. Is there anything I can get for you? Is there anything I can do for you? You see the, you see the hungry. You see, I, I doubt you see the naked very often, but you see those that, that may need shelter. You see those that need food. Throwing flour in the pot is, hey, let me get you some food. Hey, let me, let me get you a place to stay for the night. Let me get you something warm in your belly. Let me get you into a warm place. Man, you're suffering through this. You're mourning with this. Let me mourn with you. Let me pray with you. Let me, let me give the life that I have and pour it into you. Let me throw flour into that pot. Let me throw life into that pot. Now, you throw that flour on your kids. You throw that flour on your spouse, your coworkers, your teammates, your, your fellow students, whatever it may be. Now, listen, some aren't going to want the flour. Some just aren't going to want it. They're going to put their hand up. They're going to be like, whoa, don't be throwing that stuff at me. Listen, friends, that's fine. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you stop throwing the flower. You understand? That doesn't necessarily mean that. Sometimes you will be called to stop throwing the flower, but don't stop unless you know God has told you to stop. And there are times in the Bible where that happens. Jeremiah, you know, God tells Jeremiah, stop praying for these people. This is what's going to happen. This is how it goes. Uh, There's other times Jesus tells us, hey, listen, if people don't want your message and they don't want you, don't preach till you're blue in the face. Tap the dust off your sandals, move on, and that's going to be against them. So there are going to be times when the Lord will tell you, listen, keep the flower in your pocket and just move on. But until he tells you to do that, Keep throwing that flower. Keep giving your words of encouragement. Keep giving wisdom. Keep giving food. Keep giving shelter. Keep giving maybe finances, whatever it may be. As long as you're obeying the Lord and following him, it will not go void, friends. For those of you that have been in church for some time or know the Bible well, the next food miracle story that we have is going to look really familiar. So keep in the back of your mind the whole idea of throwing that flower that Elisha just did. So here comes the second food miracle. Look at verse 42 with me of 2 Kings 4. A man from Baal Shalisha, uh, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, how can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, give them to the men that they may eat. For this, for thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them and they ate and had some left according to the word of the Lord. Now we'll get to the familiarity there in a minute. I'm sure a good chunk of you in this room know where that story's going. But uh, let's just talk really quick about this. Uh, This story took place around this time. It's around this time that this story took place anywhere from like 2,500, 2,750, 3,000 years ago, something like that. Uh, But this is about the time. The feast calendar for the Israelites started with Passover, and it correlated with the Feast of First Fruits. And then you have the Feast of Weeks, which uh, we know as, as Pentecost, which took place 50 days later. So what the Israelites were supposed to do, according to the law, was bring the first parts of their harvest to the priest to be presented as a wave offering. Like they would literally make the loaves or they'd bring the grain and they'd they'd bring it to the priest and say, here you go. And then there was literally what was called a wave offering. And they would take the bread and it's literally, they would wave it in the air. And mainly what it was, was it wasn't to like fan people because 
Brad doesn't do well with fanning people. But, but when they would wave it, they would say, thank you, God, for your provision. And I mean, two of your main feasts there were thanking God for his provision within the harvest. And so they would wave that, and they would, they would thank God for the harvest. And, and then after that was done, there were also animals sacrificed. But after that was done then you could eat the rest of the grain in your field. You could eat what was given, you know, the wave offering. They would, they would wave it and then, okay, let's, let's partake together. Let's, let's party. Let's, let's rejoice in the Lord together because he's provided for us abundantly. And that's what would happen. Now, in our story here with Elisha, we're in the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom. And if you can remember, way back in the day when Jeroboam was the first king of Israel, he cut off access to Jerusalem, right? He said, you guys can't go down there because if you go down there, then I'm jealous and I'm afraid you guys are going to go back to Judah and, and this is going to be a problem. So you guys can't go to Jerusalem anymore. You can't go to the temple anymore. You can't go to the priests and you can't bring your grains and all your animals and all that stuff and do the sacrificial things that God has called us to do. Instead, we're going to set it up here. So for this particular person from Baal Shalisha, he comes up and he does the next best thing. Well, if we're not allowed to go down to Jerusalem, I guess I'm just going to have to bring it to Elisha because he's the one man of God that I know we've got here in our nation. And so technically what they're pretty sure is happening is this guy is bringing his first fruits. It's probably during the Feast of First Fruits around Passover. And, and he's bringing this and saying, here, Elisha, can you bless this? And that's probably what happened. That's probably why this guy shows up with 20 barley loaves and, and all that good stuff. And so what does Elisha do? Elisha does, probably does the wave offering and does those things. I mean, we're using a lot of poetic license here, but it makes sense if, if you think about it. So he does that, and then when he's all done with that, what does he tell him to do? Feed everybody. And what does the guy say? Dude, there's 100 people here. <laughs> At least 100 people. Remember, when it comes to the Bible, they normally just counted the men, and more often than not, their, their families were probably with these 100 guys. So you're talking technically probably anywhere from 300 to 500 people are sitting in this area, and you got 20 barley loaves and some grain that hasn't even been made into flour yet? How in the world are we going to feed these people? And what does Elisha say? Shut up and do what I told you to do. <laughs> he doesn't do that. But he just says, no, do it because the Lord says, not only will they eat, but you will have some left over. And so he goes and he feeds all of them. And sure enough, they had enough left over if people wanted seconds, thirds, whatever it may have been. Or even if the guy who brought it could keep some and, and feed it back to his family later on. Whatever it was. But they, but they had all those things. And, and it, it all worked. And it all came together. So... Let's fast forward to the story that you all probably know where this is, where this is going. John chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Now, I want you to remember everything about this nifty little story with Elijah. The fact that it was probably around Passover slash Feast of the First Fruits. The fact that this guy brought barley loaves. All these different things. Remember all this stuff as we look at John chapter 6, starting at verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Verse 6, He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not 
not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Wow, lots of similarities there, aren't there? You got the barley loaves. You've got the time it's around Passover. The only difference is what you got some fish added on. These people got some meat. Sorry, folks in Israel, but you're in the middle of a famine, so that's what's going on. Well, we think it's a famine, but, but anyways, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of similarities, especially the miracle itself. A lot more people in this story. Jesus is like, listen, I'm better than Elisha, okay? There's going to be 5,000 men, so we've talked about this before. There was probably closer to like 20,000 people sitting here. There was a lot of people there. And so we're going to feed all these people with even less barley loaves than Elisha. (laughs) We've only got five, but you also got the fish. But the miracle, again, is still similar. Lots of people, not enough food, but everybody eats and has leftovers. Now check out this interesting point in verse 14, though, of the story. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. This indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. Friends, the reason they say this is that they knew the story in 2 Kings 4. It may not have been 2 Kings 4 to them, but they knew the story of Elisha. We talked about this last week. Remember Elisha? When he's not sure what to do, what does he do? He depends on the things that have happened before. When the boy was dead, what does he do? First, he sends his staff because of Moses' staff. That was powerful. I'm a man of God. And then he says, okay, well, that didn't work. Elijah stretched his body out over the, the boy that he raised from the dead. Maybe I'll give that a shot. And so he does that, and, he's, and the boy comes back to life. Here, The people are sitting there, and they know the story, and they said, remember that story with Elisha? Remember when he fed all those people with a few barley loaves? He's doing the same thing. And we've already seen all the other miracles that this guy's done. Yeah, this is is it. This is the guy. This is the one we're waiting for. This is the prophet that's to come into the world like Moses that's going to save us all from our sins. And they started getting it, and they started understanding it. But here's the interesting thing, people. You know who those people were? The common folks, the regular folks. This wasn't the Pharisees. This wasn't the people of the law who had the whole thing memorized and taped to their foreheads and taped to their ankles and whatever else. That, that wasn't them. It was the common people, the common people who didn't have, who didn't have the luxury of carrying around a Bible or a tablet or a phone like we get to. They didn't get to do that because what everything was on what? They're on scrolls. Every single book of the Old Testament was on a scroll. We hear of Jesus when he first started his ministry, goes into the temple, pulls out the scroll of Isaiah, and and reads from it. Listen, friends, they had scrolls for each of those books. You didn't have people all around the Middle East, you know, back in the day... What you got there? Oh, it's just my Bible. 
39 scrolls for you. How do you guys think? Well, look how awesome this is. They didn't get to carry that all around. They knew what was, what was, what was happening because they understood the word. They followed the word. They made it a part of who they were so that when they saw this miracle, they knew this is it. This is the guy. He's done all the other things. And these guys, like I said, they were the common people. They were the common, ordinary people. They weren't the super smart folks. They weren't the righteous elite. They weren't the religious elite. Now, friends, I say this to go back to what we just talked about, throwing the flower. Friends, you can't throw what you don't have. You can't throw what you don't have. The common people in Jesus' day, though they didn't have the luxury of carrying around a Bible, they knew what was going on. They knew what the word of the Lord said. They knew what was happening. They, they made it a part of themselves. They made it a part of their lives. They were waiting in expectation. Friends, we are on the verge of being oversaturated with the availability of the Bible. I mean, in the United States of America, the Bible's everywhere. Most of you, it's, it's sitting right in your pocket. You can get it right here, unless you got one of those old-timey flip phones. And I don't mean to say that poorly, because I know a couple of you do. But listen, the Bible... <laughs> right. <laughs> Look at me for It's on tablets. We still... It's, it's printed like crazy. You, could, you can come to me after service today. If you're like, Pastor Dave, I don't have a Bible at all. I'll give you one. I've got like 50 of them in the back. And a couple of different translations. Well, versions, not translations. It's all in English, but a couple of different versions there. I, I mean, we are, we are on the verge of being oversaturated with the availability of the Bible. And yet, when you look at the statistics that Barna Research comes out with, Pew Research comes out with, we are also one of the most biblically illiterate groups of people in the history of mankind. How crazy is that? We've got the word of God overabundantly. And yet we so often refuse to look at it. We've, we refuse to read it. Um, I've seen self-professed believers literally claim that the Bible is of no use in certain situations. They look at it and they're like, listen, the Bible is old. It doesn't matter. It's archaic. I've heard pastors talk about this. There's, there's pastors out there that literally all they want to do is concentrate maybe on the Gospels and maybe on some of the New Testament letters because it, it, it sounds like a self-help book and it, it helps a little bit. But, but we want to throw away various aspects of the Bible. You know, we've got the situation going on in Brooklyn Center, and I've literally have heard born-again Christians literally say, Either the Bible has no place here, or they're humble enough to say, I have no clue how the Bible fits in in this spot. And sadly, what happens is we then just throw it away. We'll just come up with our own ideas. We'll just come up with our own thoughts. And what do we forget? We forget that we've got 200-plus years of history of the United States being a melting pot, trying to pull out poison not being able to throw in life because we've decided to be biblically illiterate because we don't think it's a part of what we're doing today. It's not something we can, we can, that can help us. Friends, there are one of three things going on when a person says this. Number one, they're actually not reading the Bible. Number two, they're reading but not understanding. Or number three, 
They're reading, understanding, and ignoring. Guess what? All three lead to death in the pot. Doesn't matter. It's all death. The person that doesn't read it, just as bad off as the person that does read it, understands it, and ignores it. Actually, the person that reads it, understands it, and ignores it, the Bible often shows they're worse off than the person who doesn't read it. And this is what's happening in our society. Not praying regularly, not reading the Bible, all of these things, friends, are going to lead to death in the pot. It can be difficult when you live a li- it, it can be difficult when you live a life of prayer and Bible study and not see expected results. The pressure can mount and people will start ridiculing your acts of faith, but I want to challenge you today to not give up on those things. It's hard, right? When the Lord is trying to show you, listen, this is going to take some time. There's a lot of issues here. There's a lot of poison in the pot. There's a lot of flour that needs to be thrown in. And not everybody's throwing flour into the pot. Some people are throwing their own ideas, and it's just added death. It's added poison. And the more we separate ourselves from the Word of God, the more we separate ourselves from a life of prayer, the more we separate ourselves from each other and building each other up, the more poison, the more death we're throwing into the pot. Friends, I want to challenge you to not give up. Keep getting the flour and throwing it. Keep reading the Word. Keep praying and throw the flour in the pot. Throw the flour in the pot. Do it in your individual little way, in your individual little way, whatever it is, within your family, within your work, within your school, within your team, within whatever it is. Throw it in the pot. Lord, here am I. Send me. Give me that flower, Lord, so that I can throw it in the people, so I can throw that life at people, so that they can receive the message of your salvation, so that we can start actually healing this nation. We've done so many things in the past to try to heal this nation, and a majority of it doesn't work. We've tried to make laws, we've tried to legislate stuff, and it's nice, it's okay, it, it kind of works, but nothing is going to be as powerful as the prayer and the study of the saints with God. It's not. There's nothing out there. And we, like I said, we've got 200 years to, of, of history to prove it within the United States of America. The church needs to rise up and say, listen, I need to be throwing life into this pot I need to be helping out. We can't strain out the evil. We can't do that. We have to throw the flour into the pot and say, Lord, bring life to people that they may understand. Bring life to the people. Bring healing to the people. Why don't you stand with me today? We're going to pray today. The first thing I want to pray about today is for our nation. This melting pot that we have, the death that is in the pot, I want us to come against the evil that is out there. As a church, I want us to stand and say, Lord, help help our nation. And then I want us to take some time individually and say, Lord, where am I not doing this right? Am I not doing this correctly? Am I not throwing life into the pot? Am I throwing more death? Am I throwing more poison into the pot by, by by doing whatever I'm doing? Ask the Lord to search you. Because I'm telling you right now, often, you know, we stand here and we'll pray and we'll think, well, I'm not this way. That's fine. You may not be that way, but you may be another way. (laughs) Ask the Lord to search your heart, to filter you through. Say, God, show me where I need to start throwing the flower. Show me where I'm lacking. 
Show me where I don't have flour. Maybe it's in reading the word. Maybe it's in praying. But let's go after the Lord today. First, let's lift up our nation today. Why don't you lift it up with me? God, we just come to you right now. And we lift up the United States of America to you, Lord God. We lift up our government leaders to you, Father. We lift up uh, our, our Constitution. We lift up our Declaration of Independence. We lift these things up to you, Lord God. And we just pray right now, Father, that you have your way and that you have your will, Lord. God, help us as the church. Help us as the church to do what you've called us to do, Lord, whatever it may be, Lord God. Father, if you want us to write to our, our legislatures, give us the boldness to do that. If you want, to literally, want us to literally speak to them, Lord, give us the boldness to do that, Lord God. Give us the words to speak in those areas, Lord God. Father, if it's, if it's simply, I say simply very loosely here, Lord God, if it's simply to just love our neighbor as ourself, may we do that, Lord God. May we look at people that are different than us in whatever way, whether it's race, whether it's ethnicity, whether it's class-wise, whether it's age, whatever it may be, gender, Lord God. I pray, Father, that you help us to throw life into that pot, Lord God. May we not be throwing poison. May we not be throwing more death, Lord God. But may we be giving words of encouragement, words of wisdom. Where we can, Lord God, may we be giving our finances. May we be giving food. May we be giving shelter. May we be giving clothes, Lord God. May we be doing what you have called us to do, Father. You've called us to do these things, Lord. Help us to not ignore the calling that you've placed on every single one of our lives, Lord God. All of us are in that boat, Lord. You said it over and over. Jesus, you said in Matthew chapter 25, you gave it to us. As you separated the sheep and the goats, and the goats say, when, when did we ignore you? When did we not visit you when you were sick? When did we not clothe you? When did we not feed you? He said, Lord, Lord, you said, when you did not do these to the least of these, you didn't do them to me. But when you did, you did them to me. Father, help us to do what we need to do to throw flour into that pot, to throw life into this pot, Lord God. There's a lot of death. There's a lot of poison out there, Lord God. And you are the answer for all of it. Help us to be firm. Help us to be strong. To throw that flour in the pot, Lord God. Help our nation, Lord God. Help our state, Father. Lord, all of us in here know that by the end of this week, it's going to be, it's going to be crazy, Lord God. And we need you. Father, I just pray that you send your Holy Spirit, Lord God, to St. Paul, to that Capitol building. You send your Holy Spirit, Lord God, to the senators, to the representatives, to the governor, Lord God. That you would give them wisdom, Lord, during this time, Father. I pray, Lord, for the various police chiefs around this state, Lord God. I pray, Lord, for the various National Guardsmen around this state, Father. I pray, Lord, that you give them wisdom. 
Father, most of all, I pray for a miracle. Miracle of peace, Lord God, in Minneapolis, St. Paul. God, I would, I would love it if my thoughts and my feelings were completely wrong, Lord God. And you just drown that place in your peace, in your love, Lord God. And that we would see people come together because the born-again Christians, those that claim Jesus Christ as their Savior, start speaking up in those cities, Lord God. And those of us that are outside of it are praying to you, seeing you work, Lord God. Father, we just pray for that miracle up there, Lord God. Father, justice is important, and, and you know that. We know that you know that. But Father, we just pray that you allow level, cooler heads to prevail in that area, Lord God. Help that area, help our nation, Father, as this continues on its path, as this continues on its course. Father, again, you are the only answer. Jesus, you are the only way. You are the only truth. You are the only life. Help us to seek you and help us to see you move. Holy Spirit, come and fill our hearts, fill our homes, fill our government buildings, fill our police stations. Fill us, Lord God. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord God. Lord, I lift up the fries to you, Gary and his wife, Lord God. As they're in that Capitol building, Father, I pray that they will be a light to those legislatures during this time, Lord God. That they will be wise in all that they do, Lord. Continue to use them in a powerful way, Lord God. Again, Lord, use the churches that are up there. Use the people that claim to know you, that claim the power of the Holy Spirit, and may they see good things happen as you work, Lord God. Help us, Father. Help us, Father. Help us to stay awake and to be praying, Lord God. Just like you called your disciples to in a time of, of discomfort, in a time of of. of trial and tribulation, Lord God. May we not be like the disciples and fall asleep, but may we be like your son, awake, ready, praying, Lord God. And then, Father, whatever you call us to, may we be obedient to it, Lord God, whatever it may be, Father. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. Father, I pray for each person here, Lord, that as they read your word, It'll be like what David said, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you, Lord. I pray, Father, for understanding in the minds of each individual that's sitting here, of each individual that might be watching at home, Lord God, that as they read your word, the Holy Spirit will just move in their minds. Holy Spirit, I pray that you bring that understanding, that you bring that wisdom. And that when we're with our family, when we're with our friends right here in St. James, Lord God, or Butterfield, or Medelia, or New Ulm, or South Branch, or wherever we may be, Lord God, I just pray that every word that comes out of our mouths will be like honey, Lord God. It'll be sweet to the hearer. Pray, Father, that it'll be powerful, Lord. I pray, Lord, that there will be conviction in our words, Lord, that it'll cause people to turn to you, Lord God. 
and that we may see a revival in this area, Lord God, that we may see people coming to you, wanting more of you, Lord God. Help us to make that our concentration. Help that to make our that make make uh, make it our focus, Lord God. To put you ahead, Lord. We praise you, God. We praise you, Lord. Father, I just pray that you continue to move in each individual here, Lord. Continue to speak to their hearts, Lord God. Give them the thoughts, the plans, the the abilities to do the things that you have called them to do, Lord. May we be an obedient people that follow after you, God. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. We're going to keep playing the music in the background. If you'd like to, you can stick around. Continue to be with the Lord. Take some time with him. Pray. Read the word, however it may be. But spend some time if you'd like to. If you need to go, we understand. We pray the Lord's blessings on you. But... Spend some time with the Lord if you can.